0: Welcome to Bytes and Bandwidth, I'm Brandon Heiner, Senior Vice President of Government Affairs at U.S. Telecom. Today I'm joined by Dr. Fallon Wilson, Vice President of Policy at MMTC, and Jonathan Cannon, Policy Council, Technology and Innovation, R Street Institute. Let's jump right in. Today we're talking about the Affordable Connectivity Program, better known as the ACP. The ACP provides eligible households with a discount on broadband service and connected devices, which is critical to help close the digital divide. Today, there are more than 22 million households enrolled in the program. Congress and the White House are looking for opportunities to extend this program at least for another year and to find a permanent solution into the future. Dr. Fallon, can you tell us about the importance of the ACP program and how will access to affordable broadband impact communities and residents across the country?
1: I'm a person of history. I feel like if you don't know exactly where we have been, you don't know where we're going. So I go before at the height of the pandemic when we had students who were not able to get to school um, and we realized that they did not have internet access and we realized they didn't have devices. I go back to the time where we realized that many of our workers did not have access at home or devices. I go back to a time where children were sitting in the parking lots of fast food restaurants trying to get access to internet so that they could do remote school. And so when you ask the question, why is the ACP is important? Because I don't want us to go back to those times when we did not have access at a critical moment in our country and in, in, in the world where there was a global pandemic. And so having access to the Affordable Connectivity Program ensures that if there was ever a pandemic a natural disaster, some type of event that we cannot necessarily foresee at this moment, at least we would know that people would have access to the devices to connect with their loved ones, access to devices and internet that allows them to continue to do work and to take care of their families. And so it is important to me because I don't want to relive history. And I think most importantly than anything, even even before that moment, we understood that there's a little divide. Many of our internet service providers, many of our community partners who have been doing this work for a long time understood it was apparent. But the ACP was the response that finally our country got. And I just don't see us going back to a time where we are being willfully ignorant that 22 million people don't have access and don't have devices. So that's why it's important. Why is it important for the African American community? In particular, because that's the community I work with. Yeah. I can give data points to talk about how we are still yet not where we need to be when it comes to having a fully connected community. But I also understand that when you think about the complexities in which black and brown people find themselves within this space of, as we talk about AI, everyone loves AI, but they don't realize you have to have a digital foundation to have that. That means you have to have high-speed quality internet You have to have high-speed quality internet that you can afford. You have to have devices to be able to connect. You have to have the digital skills. And so everything that our country is here grappling with now lets me know that in order to build like black tech futures where they're being able to create AI futures, we have to make sure the foundation is correct. But removing the ACP, not finding a funding mechanism will impair the ability of communities of color and historically marginalized communities. It's a dream of AI features, instead of me giving like deficit data, I'm talking about dreams. My people should be able to dream of feature, but they can't have that if we don't have access to a subsidy that allows us to level the playing field.
0: All said. Jonathan, what's your perspective on the ACP? Is it working? What are the benefits to the program?
2: Yeah, if if measure of program working is the rapid adoption program was stood up in around two years, started off as emergency broadband benefit. And I was at the FCC as I watched the agency who were working remote, who were talking about all those issues that we just discussed, rapidly stood up a program that got people connected. And in less than two years, you got twice or three times the enrollment of Lifeline, which was the only affordability program that we had. And the beauty of ACP compared to other programs is the neutrality of it. It gives the customers an opportunity to choose a plan and solve a platform that suits their needs. So if their best need is a mobile or hotspot, or if it's fixed fiber into the home, ACP lets you choose what plan works best for you. And it is has addressed the hardest part of the digital divide, which is the affordability gap. Congress in IAJA gave $45.2 billion to build out infrastructure to bridge the access side of the digital divide. But there's little point building access if there's no one on the other end of that to get connected and to benefit from those. So is the program working? There are 22 million households that would say that it is. We can get into it more, but I think when people raise concerns about the program, I think that demonstrates the strengths of the program as well, because it is robust, it is malleable. And Congress has an opportunity here to not just extend the length of the program and extend the life of the program but make necessary tweaks to ensure that it can be a long-term successful program in a way that its predecessors could.
1: And I love that you said household and not people. Thank you, because that lets you know you're having more impact than just individuals.
2: That's right. One of the questions that we received a lot from Conversations on the Hill was how many new subscribers there were, how many new people got internet because of ACP. And my, my two thoughts on that is If that was the true and the main purpose of the program, the statute would have made sure that ACP was only available for new subscribers. But that's not how the statute was written. It was written to give affordable broadband to anyone who qualifies based on eligibility criteria. But in spite of that, according to USAC data, um, 20 to 22% of ACP enrollees are first-time subscribers. So that means there's 5 to 6 million households out there who before acp did not have broadband and now are enjoying the benefit of the digital economy i just think that's a really interesting point because when looking at the measures of success of the program it's not just these small data points but there's there's been a profound impact on getting people who otherwise weren't adopting who now are well,
0: that's a great point jonathan we can see how the programs really enabled folks who maybe had broadband before but didn't have enough service to access things like educational platforms to online meeting platforms and telehealth applications. Yeah, that is a a tremendous benefit to the ACP is not just who had it and who doesn't, but also who was able to buy service that is capable of enabling modern technologies. Dr. Fallon, the FCC distributed grants to promote the ACP. How did your organization help spread the word on the program and engage subscribers?
1: So MMTC, the Multicultural Media Telecom Internet Council, where I work, we received one of the ACP outreach grants, which we're very excited to have, to continue to grow the work that we're doing with Black churches for digital equity. We work with African American church leaders across the country, across denomination, and educate them about digital equity and how the Affordable Connectivity Program is a part of a long-term and sustainable digital equity planning future And so we literally educate pastors on exactly what it is. We bring them to D.C. so they can tell their stories of how the ACP is changing the lives of the parishioners and how digital equity is super important for building future for Black people in this country. And so we literally do that work. And then we culminate with our annual Affordable Connectivity Program, ACP Day of Action, where we're literally working across 30 cities, 13 states, and about 25 pastors across those 13 states who are organizing their states and their cities to sign people up for ACP. That happens in August of every year. This was our second year doing this past August, and we were able to really get the word out and sign people up. And so what our sign-ups look like is that we realized that August is, most of our country goes back to school And so our churches would work with their cities, their local nonprofits, and they're put on a festival. They would put on a type of community engagement outreach strategy. And so as people were getting book bags, they were also signing them up for ACP. They were educating them or working with their local school districts so that if they were CEP schools, they were able to get connected and be able to deal with some of the eligibility requirements of ACP, which we're not gonna talk about all that greatness on this call. But what we do and what we've done with the funds It's to really empower trusted community anchor institutions, which are churches, to be able to be the front ground of an ACP movement. That's the ultimate outcome of our work, that they become our foot soldiers in saying why this should be extended. But that's the work we have done over the last two and a half years now.
0: That's terrific work. And you've obviously been successful as 22 million households are ACP participants.
1: So oh, I the uh, think my church has been all of that. We could take some of that.
0: That's right. Clearly there's some challenges ahead for the ACP. Interested in both of your perspectives on what those might be and if you see a path forward for the ACP into the future.
2: Yeah, I mean, I can start on that one. So just to kind of preface. I wanted to mention that as we were talking about acp and how people use digital navigators to get connected this program has customers in all 50 states across red and blue districts alike it doesn't discriminate or be favored by one political party there's actually been studies where this program enjoys enormous popularity among republicans as well you just don't really see that in a lot of government programs where there's a strong bipartisan support for the program All that to be said, which leads into the next point of the challenges that we face, the most immediate challenge is the funding, obviously. The FCC just announced that they would stop taking new customers in February and begin issuing notices to customers, letting them know that the program was ending. And then by April, they estimate that their funds will be completely exhausted. So as a short-term solution, I think Congress needs to look at an opportunity to continue or extend the program. then how they identify the pay for which i think is the biggest challenge that they have right now we're in a very narrow divided congress that are really struggling to move legislation generally but again when you see a bright spark bipartisan piece of legislation you would hope that there'd be opportunity for consensus looking long term i think there's a lot more disagreement as to what the future of the program will be personally i think it fits in amazingly with usf i love to compare uh, especially to lifeline Lifeline has a lot of strings attached for providers that participate in the program, and it has a really limited choices of services for customers. ACP doesn't have any of those issues for both the consumer and for the provider standpoint. It has a benefit that goes directly to the consumer so they can choose a plan that suits their needs, and it doesn't put undue burden on carriers. I would say it's the program Republicans dreamed of it's like a school choice of broadband. It really gives the flexibility to the customer that we've never really seen with any kind of federal program. And I think even if Congress were to refund ACP, I think we just kick the can and we end up back having this conversation. So I think it's critically important as we look for how to extend this program short-term that we look for long-term solutions as well. Just real quick, the only other thing I wanted to raise is there's been a lot of concern, especially among some Senate Republicans, about waste, fraud, and abuse in the program and teeing up the idea that there's a lot of issue with the program. And my response there simply is the fact that there has been issues identified and how quickly they've been remedied is a strength of the program, not a weakness. Lifeline went for years with rapid and rabid waste, fraud, and abuse, and they've quickly stamped it out with ACP in a way that they weren't able to before. There was billions wasted with Lifeline, and every time there's been an instance of waste, fraud, and abuse identified in ACP. They've been able to adjust and rectify it. And with Congress at the helm of this program, I think it gives them opportunity to continue tweaking and refining the program to ensure that it is a robust long-term program to address affordability. The issue of the divided Congress, I think, has made it really hard. You've got Republicans who are working on legislation to extend ACP, but in the House, you've got a very strict environment where they're working under cut-go, where they won't agree to any new appropriation without cutting something. And there's just no room in the appropriations process now to pay for it. You've got a Congress who's struggling to identify how to cover border funding, but there's a foreign aid supplemental they're working through as well. Not to mention the 12 appropriations bills, all of which need to happen before March. And here we are asking for seemingly an insignificant amount of money to extend the life of ACP, but it's just, it's not moving. They're not able to identify funding out there to continue paying for the program. And I'm hoping that will change.
0: If it doesn't change, Dr. Wilson, what do you see as the impact in communities?
1: See, I, before I answer that question, I'm sorry. I have to respond to the question you gave him on. Okay, good. yeah. I hear everything that he just shared, and I, and I appreciate your understanding the complexities that we find ourselves in, but I also am of the mindset that we are not doing enough to support people telling their stories about why this is super important for their communities both at the national level in the halls of Congress, but also locally at the district level. I think we overlook the ability to mobilize people in this moment to help support the lengthening of this process. Because if carrots and sticks, right, carrots and sticks, I think you have to be able to mobilize communities to talk with their congressional leaders at the local level for why this truly matters for their communities so that when they get to the national level, there's not the partisan Conflicting natures that come up in a presidential election year. And I believe that if we really want ACP to work and to be funded, I think amazing internet service providers, nonprofits, and the philanthropic community will really need to begin investing in community organizations to support the digital storytelling and activism needed to support the extension of this. I do not see it as a lost issue. Also, I work with people of faith. I work with communities of faith who believe in something more than themselves daily as both purpose as well as practice. And I don't think we have done enough to mobilize community organizations to support on the ground education on this issue, and also how to begin making change locally so that nationally they feel it and make it a priority Because we can find resources when we want to. To your point, we stood up this whole program in a matter of like seconds compared to how long it takes for these types of things to normally happen. And so for me, it's about political will. And so what does it mean for communities or historically marginalized communities? It doesn't mean anything disastrous. I hate to say this because I I refuse to be doom and wound for people who look like me who cannot afford the internet devices. We will continue to advocate and we'll continue to mobilize. Our faith leaders will continue to do the work of telling their stories and telling their constituents and the push come the shove to continue to mobilize their constituents to be leaders in this space. So I do not see it. Yeah. I'm sorry, I just can't align fully with whatever the vision we're painting of post-ACP moment, especially when I know we still have the resources within our companies, within our organizations, within our nonprofits, within our philanthropic communities, to really invest in community members understanding this moment and being able to tell a better story for why this matters and why Congress should get behind it. And let me say one more thing, one more thing. (laughs) We have creative imagination. This has nothing to do with the Bipartisan Act. I'm going to jump to the CHIPS Act. It is fascinating for me to see the numbers of philanthropic commitments connected to the National Science Foundation to talk about AI moments. There is no reason why we can't creatively think through these things on the broadband side of the house and have these types of coalitions me to support this moment. But yet again, it's not just political will in Congress, but it's also political will among organizations that we all love and work with to think about this moment, not that it's over and throw our hands up, but clear out how to dig deep to support community organizations on the next leg of this work.
2: And I was just going to add, I think that there's an amazing opportunity here based on everything that was just said, the community engagement, the, the grassroots and the ground level. This is a program that impacts real people and changes real people's lives. And I think in a lot of Washington discourse, you do lose that aspect of the conversation. But from a Washington perspective, I think it it's a huge opportunity to really find a way to move forward on a program that we have seen a lot of success, Like we have heard these amazing stories. The best case scenario for a person on ACP is that they don't need ACP anymore like it really can serve as a bootstrap program that we just don't really get to see a lot. The access to the internet has limitless potential. And there's already been studies out there that have showed an amazing return on that investment. I think it's $3 for every $1 invested in ACP that's come out the other side. Congress and Republicans especially, I think, they're looking at ways to invest in their communities and these bootstrap mindset of how we can ensure that we're effectively spending every dollar in a meaningful way. And that's what ACP does. It's not more bureaucratic waste. It's not just another program. The way we've framed this is one broadband program to rule them all. This program could replace a lot of what other programs have attempted to do and have failed. And ACP hasn't.
1: And the other piece of it is what I love about it and what you said earlier. Locally, oh my God, I love working in the South with our local state officers and broadband officers. Everyone enjoys this program and try, and also building into their digital equity plans. And so you, when I think about a coalition, it really will take a coalition of leaders across the various levels to really tell a more compelling story to our national leaders here in D.C., who, to your point, they can get caught up in the partisan politics of the moment, but realizing that Can I just say what it means to unenroll 22 million people? What does that even look like? Let me just say and answer your second question now, if you don't mind. Unenrolling 22 million people, first and foremost, anecdotally as a researcher, I would say, if I had to unenroll myself as an individual, I would be least likely to sign up again for another opportunity if it goes back down the pike for Congress to look at this, as you say, and kicking the can down the lane, right? One issue. Second issue I love my internet service providers. They are amazing. They have done such tremendous work, but I do not want to have to deal with the complexities of the stickiness of having to untwine communities from those amazing organizations so that there is not any type of global morale on either side of the house for us not being a community in the future on this moment. And thirdly, I had a 87 year old senior at one of our Southern churches in rural Georgia called because she did in fact get that announcement that in April funding will be rolling back, there will be no funding. And she's Dr. Wilson, it's been so helpful for me. I get to see my grandchildren, but now I can't afford it because I'm on fixed income at 87. So for me, I think those who are not getting behind this, they don't understand what it means to have people angry, dissatisfied, I don't think they understand what this will mean for them. Because if I have to unroll 22 million, I have to deal with the internet service providers, I have to deal with the the technical skills, like all the things you have to do to sign people up, now have to walk that back? You have taken us pre-pandemic challenges with getting buy-in for the internet and no one wants to be there again. It will be sticky and it will be ugly and people will not trust us. And we've, we went out on a line to say that this is gonna be a thing And now our all as community organizations, our relationships are fraught. let alone internet service providers' relationships with our communities.
0: I think we're all hopeful that we don't reach that point, right? That Congress finds a way to appropriate the money between now and the time that the FCC predicts that this program may sunset. Hey, this has been a great conversation. I think what is clear here is how important the ACP is in reaching our shared goal of internet for all and connecting all communities. And certainly your organizations are doing tremendous work to get the word out, help communities utilize this program. So thank you, Dr. Fallon and Jonathan for a great conversation. And I look forward to our
2: continued partnership.
1: Perfect, thank you so much for having me.
2: Yeah, thank you so much. It's been a really good conversation.
1: Thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of Bites and Bandwidth. Join us each month as we continue our conversation with key voices in the U.S. broadband industry. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. For more information on U.S. Telecom, visit us online at ustelecom.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.